The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let Your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in You. Amen. here today as your people to worship you, to lift up the name of our Savior, to praise Him and His goodness and mercy and faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, that everything that we do and say would be pleasing in your sight today, that the melody of our heart, the words on our mouth, would be pleasing to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, we pray now as you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud together, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in your hymnal if you'd like to turn there. And I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance of pardon from the book of Micah, chapter 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Amen. Let's continue worshiping now, singing hymn number 455, And Can It Be That I Should Gain.
Turn in your hymn book to page 804 for our responsive reading from Psalm 52 today. Page 804, we'll be reading Psalm 52. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time now to pray to you as a church family, to join our hearts together as we come before your throne, and your word says that we may come boldly to your throne of grace, that we may receive help in great time of need. And Lord, we do cry out to you in need. We are in need of a Savior who would cleanse us from our sins. We are in need of a God who will care for us and provide for us. We're not able to do it on our own. And Lord, we pray that you would comfort and be with your people today through this service, through your word. And Lord, as we come to your table in just a few moments, Lord, I pray that you would feed your people, nourish us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit with us. Lord, I cry out to you for those who are suffering among us, who struggle with physical and mental and emotional difficulties. Lord, that you would be very close to them, that you would meet their needs in these hours of trial. And Lord, that you would remind them of what we heard this morning, that you never leave us, that you promise to stay with your children. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling financially, those who need help truly to make ends meet. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your goodness in hours where anxiety is high and faith seems very far and distant. I pray that you would be near to your people. Lord, I pray for your work that continues to happen around the world. You promise in your word that your word does go forth. It will accomplish all that you desire it to. And Lord, we pray that you would bless those who are ministering in your name around the world, particularly those in North Korea and Ukraine and in Russia and other places, Lord, that we may never be but brothers and sisters who are like-minded are ministering the gospel, and we pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your grace. And we pray particularly for our own missionaries, those that we support here at Lebanon, that you would encourage their hearts even now as we pray. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with us now in this service, that all that is said and done would be for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together again and sing hymn number 460, Amazing Grace.
we take an offering to the glory of God.
Let us pray. Our Father, we pray that you would take these tithes and offerings that we have given and use them in your economy for the gospel to be spread throughout this world. Lord, that you would use them that lost souls would go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light through hearing your gospel preached. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as we give this morning to give believing that you are the one who provides for us and all that we have is a gift from you. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for our participation in the gospel. In your name, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 for our scripture reading this morning. Matthew chapter 6, the sermon is entitled, The Test of Forgiveness. We'll be reading the end of verse 12 and then verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we come back to the fifth petition, requesting that God forgive our debt of sin. And remember, it is our chief spiritual need, as we said two weeks ago. Apparently, Jesus believed that it was weighty enough to add further explanation to this fifth petition, as we say, as we forgive our debtors. There is a two-way tension that we should keep in mind as we read this text. There is both the legal implication of our sin before a holy God, but there is also the significant relational loss because of our sin, the distance created between us and our Heavenly Father because of our sin. Jesus in this text is linking these things together. Our plea for mercy at His throne, asking Him to forgive our debt of sin with our readiness to offer it to our brothers and sisters. I want to read briefly Heidelberg Catechism number 51, which says, what is the fifth petition? It says, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. This is called a test of forgiveness today. So I want to answer the question, is Jesus saying that we merit forgiveness from God. And secondly, forgiveness as obedience, and lastly, the weight of forgiveness. First, is Jesus saying that we merit forgiveness? That God's forgiveness is something that we get because we give grace? And I want to encourage you, dear people of God, don't skip over difficult questions like this. Work through them. Search the Scriptures. Find someone that you know and trust who studies the Bible, who walks with the Lord, and work through difficult questions together. The way that you answer this question ultimately says an awful lot about how you and I relate to one another. And I want to say a firm no from the Scriptures. We don't merit God's forgiveness. The Gospel forbids that we say that God grants us mercy if and only if we grant mercy to others. That would make God's mercy and our salvation itself a reward for our prior act, our work of showing mercy to others. That can't be right. That can't be in the Scriptures. Since God's mercy is never a reward for our good deeds, if we call forgiveness a reward, we contradict the Gospel which says that God's mercy to us is a gift. I want to give some reasons why I believe no. Other than simply seeing it in Scripture, it can't be so. Why is it that that's not possible? Why such a firm answer no from the Scriptures? Number one, we wouldn't do that. It's not part of our DNA to forgive others. 
Our sin nature has so polluted our hearts and our minds that we don't have a motive to want to forgive others. We would rather get even and take vengeance and have it be in our place and not give it over to the Lord. Secondly, to offer what Jesus describes here in this passage is a spirit-wrought work in the heart of one who has received and tasted His grace. It is His mercy that we forgive at all. And lastly, why no? Because it would never be enough. All of the forgiveness that you could give in the world would never be enough to merit God's forgiveness of your sins in His presence. It's not possible. You and I can't earn God's pardon. So number one, is Jesus saying we merit forgiveness? No, He's not. Secondly, forgiveness as obedience. And I want to look briefly just at a couple passages of Scripture that say that we are actually commanded as God's people to forgive others. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, your identity, you are holy and beloved. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. It's commanded in the Bible that we forgive one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says that love is not provoked and thinks no evil. In the English Standard Version of the Bible translation, it says that love is not irritable or resentful. And the Greek there actually means that we don't count up wrongdoing as if we were taking score. Well, I did one thing, but she did three terrible things. So it ought to be in my favor. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't count that way. And neither should it be in God's family. This is about a disposition of our heart. Remember, a moment ago I talked about the sense of our sin and our debt before our Heavenly Father. Yes, it is legal. We have sinned against holiness and righteousness. And we have no right to ever say we should be in God's presence. But we have also lost a relationship with Him because of our sin. And unfortunately, because of the world that we live in, we lose relationships with others because of sin. Their sin or ours. Sometimes reconciliation is not possible in this life. And that stings down to our soul and in our hearts. But it is a disposition of our heart. God's people should be ready to forgive. Ready to work on forgiveness and relationship. To be genuine. Forgiveness that we ourselves bestow on our fellow men must be given gladly, generously, and with finality. Not in the spirit of... I'll forgive you, but I'm telling you I'll never forget it, says William Hendrickson. Forgiveness is to be complete. It's to be making amends of a relationship that has been broken. And relationships with people are complicated. You didn't come here to find that out today. You know it to be true. Yet there is no place for a begrudging spirit or bitterness in the family of God. Christian hope, says David Wells, rests not upon the fact that evil can be ignored, or that it will simply fade away, but that it has been judged completely and finally at the cross of the Lord Jesus. We don't deny that evil exists, 
And there are times when we hurt each other immensely. But there is forgiveness and hope in the Gospel. And that is why our God said, Vengeance is mine. Leave it to Him. Your sense of justice is no higher than His and your standard of righteousness isn't either. Leave it to Him. Our business is to forgive and to work on relationships and to try to reconcile, though it isn't always possible. I want to share just a a brief quote on reconciliation. To some of you, this is very deep and there are wounds that have been there for years. The question might be asked, but in the process of bringing about forgiveness and reconciliation, does the entire obligation rest on the person who has been sinned against? Does not the offender also have an obligation? And the answer is, indeed, he does. He must repent with the message of this repentance. He must gladden the heart of the one he has injured. But this does not remove the latter, the offended person's obligation to do all in his power to open wide the gate of reconciliation. If in that case there is no cooperation from the other side, from the person who did the offending, who sinned against you, the blame will not rest on the offended person, but on the offender who originally inflicted the injury. This is a quote from a commentator, but I believe he's right. We should do everything that we can to open wide the gates of reconciliation as we have received grace. First, from the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be willing to share it. First John chapter 2. We show that we love the Lord by obeying His commands. And anyone who says that he loves the Lord and hates his brother denies the truth. His brother or his sister or his family. He denies the truth. And John says in his epistle that the truth is not in him. So if you have something that sticks in your throat every Sunday morning when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you can't get rid of the face in your mind or the voice or an event that happened, it doesn't mean that you don't belong to your Heavenly Father. But it means that there's business to be done there in His presence. And you need to cry out to the Lord in mercy that He would deal with that in your heart by His grace. The Gospel is real and true. And it does work in our hearts, even in situations and circumstances that are almost unbearable in this life. And this is a a test from our Lord that we would walk in His ways and trust His grace. It's not about performance for you. Oh, I feel so much better. This is about broken relationships and sin before a holy God. And He calls us to forgive. Lastly, the weight of forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, if you're taking notes, I would write them down and and read it later. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35, a parable is told of a man who has a significant debt and the debt collector calls in the debt and it amounts to something like $8 million in that time. And the man says, I have no money to pay it. I have no hope at all of paying this debt. Would you please forgive it? Would you wipe it out completely? And the debt collector does. The man does. He says, I'm wiping it out. Not throwing you or your family into prison. Then he finds someone, this man who had been forgiven much. He goes and finds someone who owes him a debt that amounts to about $20,000. Not insignificant. And he takes the man and grabs him and says, give me my money now. And when he can, he throws him into prison. And word gets back to the first debt collector. And he said, why didn't you give grace just like you received? Why didn't you rejoice the heart of the other one? 
The weight that you had been forgiven was significant and I forgave it. I wiped it out. Why wouldn't you give that grace? And he throws him into prison. The point of the parable is that the plea for mercy acknowledges the impossibility of paying the debt. He had no hope of paying an $8 million debt. But yet, his unforgiving spirit bears strong witness to the fact that he possibly had never really repented. He just wanted mercy. He hadn't really repented that he hadn't made preparations to pay this debt and hadn't made any dent in it at all. Hadn't even acknowledged it. And lastly, where do you see yourself in this parable? Are you the collector? The first collector? Are you the debtor? Or maybe are you caught in the middle like the family of the first man who was forgiven, whose life was about to be turned upside down and thrown into prison? Are you caught in the middle of some sort of family or friendship issue where you're not really primarily involved, you're only secondarily related to it, and you're hoping, Lord, will you please resolve this conflict? I have nothing to do with it and I'm powerless to fix it. Or are you like debtor number two who is grabbed up by the neck of the neck and thrown into prison over a debt that could easily have been forgiven. The weight of forgiveness is significant. It is always costly. It's never free, and it's never free of pain. We should know this as we come today to celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate this meal, we know that grace is costly. Mercy is not free in the sense that nobody paid for it. Jesus paid for it with His life. He poured out His blood on the cross that you and I might be forgiven, that we might in turn, forgive our brothers and sisters. Forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation, though that is the ultimate goal. It may not happen. Jesus' point is, in this parable, that God forgives the penitent. That is, if we understand how precious and costly it is to be forgiven, if we know how much it costs for God to forgive us, then we will forgive others. The forgiven have motives to forgive. We thank God for His gift. We admire the beauty of His ways of reconciliation toward us. And we hope to do the same for others. Let us pray briefly before we partake in the Lord's Supper together. Our Father, we pray to You and cry out to You as sinners. We cling to Your mercy. And Lord, we pray that You would cleanse our hearts that we would come to this table not out of a sense of merit because we've earned it in serving You or loving others, and certainly not because we've done anything that would catch Your eye, the God of all the universe. Lord, we pray that You would work this forgiveness into our souls as we live in this fallen world. We shouldn't be shocked that things happen, but sometimes it catches us off guard, Lord, and... Sometimes it's easier to hold a grudge than to work on relationships. To have bitterness harbored in our hearts rather than speaking to someone. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to know that You are near. As we have been encouraged to remember this morning, You are with those who are brokenhearted because of relationships that are fractured. You are with us and You minister the Gospel to our souls. And Lord, may we share it with others. In Your name. Amen. This time I'd like to ask the elders who are participating in the Lord's Supper to come forward to prepare the table.
The Lord Jesus, in his wisdom and his grace and mercy, has given us this table of grace, that we may come to him and feed upon Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel. Hear these words of institution from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when we come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. I just want to say a few brief things about this table that the Lord has given us. This is a table of grace. It's not a table of condemnation. And it's absolutely not a table for the perfect. And it's good and necessary for us, as our scriptures say, the word of the Lord Jesus, and even our own church standards remind us that a man or a woman coming to this table ought not to come hastily, but we should examine our hearts before the Lord, confessing our sins to Him. So let's take a moment now to do this before the Lord. And I'll close in a moment in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we cry out to you, your word says that when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we pray now that as we have confessed our sins to you, that they would be nailed and left on the cross, that they would not be a weight on us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that because of the blood of the Lord Jesus and his powerful resurrection, we are forgiven, that you have wiped away the slate of sins that we have committed, that you have changed us and given us new hearts and a desire to walk in your ways, to read your word, to fellowship with one another, and to love your people. Lord, we pray now as we partake of this Lord's Supper together as a church family, that you would feed us by your Spirit upon Christ, that we would truly be nourished in our hearts, that this means of grace would be effectual in us this day. In your name, amen. The Word of God says that this table belongs not to the perfect, not to people who don't sin, but to those who have an apprehension, an understanding of their sin, and who have cried out to the Lord Jesus for grace in faith. It is not for people who would say, I haven't sinned at all. It's for people who know I am a sinner apart from His grace. 
If you are a member of a Bible-believing church that takes the gospel seriously, and you have made profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this table is for you. Come and feast upon Christ as He is offered to you in the gospel. If there is something that is going on between you or someone else, and there is forgiveness yet to extend, then the Lord Jesus says, you ought not come to this table if you are holding a grudge. But if you have done everything that you can to make that right, then come and feed upon Christ. Take the warning seriously that we just read, and as we have prayed the Lord's Prayer today, as He works in your heart. If your children have not made profession of faith, they ought not take part in this supper with us. But if they have, then joyfully take this supper together. Feed upon Christ as He is offered to you. If you are continuing in some secret sin or otherwise, and are therefore unrepentant, you ought not partake in this table. But the Lord Jesus says that this is the table for those who look to Him in faith, who cry out to Him for mercy, and who love to give and receive the forgiveness that He has offered in the Gospel. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after supper, He took the bread and He broke it in their presence. On the night that He was betrayed, He was serving His people. He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, This is My body, broken for you. On the same night, after the supper, He took the cup and He said, as He poured that cup, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink you all of it in remembrance of me. The bread and the wine symbolize Jesus' body and his blood that would be broken and poured out for our sins. The wrath of God had to be atoned. Our sins had to be paid for. And he brutally suffered for our sake that we might be made his children. He did this Delightfully, though it says that as he prayed in the garden, he sweat great drops of blood. As he was praying, he thought of you and me. As he hung on that cross and suffered, he thought of you and me. And it was the Lord Jesus who cried out, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what to do. May the gospel grip your heart today as you come and partake in this meal. It is a gift to you from your Savior. Let me pray now. Father, I thank you that you have spilled your blood and that your body was broken, that our stripes might be healed, that we might be forgiven, and that you would call us sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, may that be our sure identity today as we come to your table. As we partake of the bread and the wine, may we rejoice that our names are written in heaven, that there is Therefore now no remaining sacrifice for sins, and we fling our hope on you, and we cling to the mercy of the Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. As the elders come to cover the table, let's stand together and sing hymn number 691 together.
lift up your heads, dear people of God, and receive the benediction of our Lord. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.